So two weeks ago, I decided to do something that I never do, and that's clean the inside of my car. And um, uh, it really, it has to be really, really bad for me to clean the car, and it was. Uh, my son Joshua had a few too many meals uh, in, in my car, and so I was cleaning, I got a rag, and I, a wet rag, and I was wiping down the interior, and I moved forward, and the rag kind of caught, and I, uh, my fingers kind of buckled, um, and um, like they were jammed, and I thought, oh, that kind of hurt, and uh, so, and then about 10 seconds later, the pain sort of went away, and I went inside, and I noticed that my middle finger was unable to straighten. Uh, so I, I um, was unable, even though, you know, I, I could push it like this, but it was like at a 45 degree angle and I could not straighten it. And so I immediately contacted Dr. Google um, uh, to find out what was going on. And I discovered that I have something called mallet finger. And mallet finger is when you, you tear the tendon, this top tendon here. Um, and so I have this, this splint now that I have to wear for um, six weeks. Um, and so I learned a very, very important lesson. Never clean your car interior. Okay, that was that was the lesson. Um, so so if you know, and, and since this this happened two weeks ago, um, since that time, I've talked to a couple people who actually have experienced the exact same thing. They have had mallet finger, and now if one of them a few months ago, let's say, had told me about their experience with this, I would have expressed interest and said, I've never heard of that. And then I could honestly say, I now know about mallet finger. But how many of us realize there is knowing and then there is knowing, right? Um, you know, there is knowing information about something. Um, and then there is knowing that something personally, living it, experiencing it personally. And I'm sure all of us can think of examples of things that we thought we knew about. And then we experienced it, like marriage, or, or, or parenting, or grief, or middle school, or whatever. You know, there, there's knowing about, and then there's knowing right? Um, and the same thing applies in our spiritual lives. There are lots of things that we can know about spiritually. We can know about salvation. We can know about forgiveness. We can know about Jesus' work on the cross. We can, we can pass a test on this information. We maybe even can share this information with other people. But from God's perspective, there is knowing, and then there's knowing. You know, and it's that second knowing that God is most interested in for us. It's that second knowing that results in real transformation in our lives. And this is really what the Apostle Paul is focusing on. It's what he's getting at in the first two chapters of the book of Ephesians, this letter to the church at Ephesus. He wants to make sure that the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ are not just things we know about. He wants to make sure that we're actually experiencing these things. So we are spending several weeks here doing a deep dive into the first two chapters of this, this letter, of this, this book of Ephesians, so that we can be transformed by all that we have in Christ. We, we don't want to just know about these things. We want to know them. We, we want to live them and be transformed by them at the core of our being. So today we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. So feel free to turn there 
If you'd like, if you have your Bible or Bible app, and I want us to read, we're going to put it on the screen here too. I want us to read this passage. It's not long, but let's read this out loud together. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is God's word. Okay, so Paul tells us here that at the moment we place our trust in Christ, something very significant happens to us, and it has to do with the Holy Spirit. Paul refers to him as the promised Holy Spirit. So what is this promise about? Well, in the Old Testament, God chose to dwell among his people, and he did so through, through this physical location. Initially, it was sort of a large pack-and-play tent um, called the tabernacle um, because the people were moving around a lot, but it eventually became this permanent structure in Jerusalem, the, the temple. And within this temple was a, a place called the Holy of Holies, and that was where God's presence could be experienced, but only by a high priest once a year. However, all along in this journey in the Old Testament with his people, all along, God let his people know that his ultimate objective was not simply to dwell in a building. It was not simply to dwell in a building at all. No, his ultimate objective was for his people to become his temple. God wanted his dwelling place to actually be in us, not in a building. And so, so through the prophet Joel, a prophet in the Old Testament, the prophet Joel, God expressed this desire. He gave this amazing promise. So check this out. This is, this is in the book of Joel, Old Testament, right? Um, hundreds of years before this ever happened. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. See, this, this promise from the book of Joel was fulfilled 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. So in the New Testament book of Acts, Peter, in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands before the crowd and he quotes from this passage to describe what God is now doing. His Holy Spirit had now been given to us to live in us as God's people. So God specifically mentions men and women, young and old. Anyone who has placed their trust in Jesus now has the very presence of Jesus, the very presence of God living in them, which is astounding when you think about it. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, the God of creation lives in you. The, the God who spoke and the galaxies were formed. The God who parted the Red Sea, the, the, the presence of Jesus himself lives in you. Now, in this particular passage, Paul highlights a couple of significant realities that this spirit of God brings into our lives the moment that we trust Christ. And these realities, they hinge upon two critical words in the verses that we just read. The word seal and the word deposit. 
So Paul writes in verse 13, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Okay, so what does it mean that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit? This idea of sealing is so powerful because it speaks to the most fundamental needs of the human heart. Okay, so think back, if you, if you remember this, if you ever had a psychology class or something in high school, do you remember back in school, someone talking about Maslow's hierarchy? Okay, Maslow's hierarchy, just off some of the, the whatever, the cobwebs in there, but it was, it, was, it was a pyramid, it was a pyramid diagram that basically identified the five core needs of any human being. Any human being, these are the five core needs. The most basic at the bottom of this pyramid, the most basic need was just physiological, the need for food, water, air, that kind of thing, sleep, all that. That's the physiological. But right above that, right above that were two other core needs that every human being has, the need for security and the need to belong. Every human being, from the moment of birth through our adult years, our adult lives, every human being needs to know that we're safe and that we fit in, that we belong. So in light of that, it is so fascinating that both of these needs, both of those needs are exactly what this word sealed addresses. Okay, it's like God knew exactly what we needed. Imagine that. God knew exactly what we need, and he provided a way for us to experience these things. The Holy Spirit truly is God's love gift to you and me. So let's look more closely at this word sealed. In Paul's day, the word seal was often used to describe ownership. Um, so, for instance, cattle would be branded with a seal, with, with, a, with a mark of ownership, so that anyone who, who came across the, the cattle, they would know who that cattle belonged to. It was a mark of ownership. So I put my name on certain things that matter to me, you know, like my golf clubs, okay? I have a bad habit of leaving wedges around the green and realizing later, I, where, where are my clubs? And so I have put a label on my clubs so that they have my name. So if anyone finds my club out on the course, they know whose club it is. It has my name on it. See, when Paul says that you have been sealed with the Spirit, he is saying that the Holy Spirit who is in you is evidence of the fact that you belong to God. You belong to God. You matter so much to him that he has taken you as his very own possession. You are his. He has put his seal of ownership on you. You belong to him, not as a piece of property, but as his beloved sons and daughters, which we saw earlier in this chapter. So as, as Maslow pointed out in his pyramid thing, one of our core needs as humans, every one of us, one of our core needs as humans is to feel like we belong, is to feel like we belong, that we're not alone in this universe, that we're not an outcast, we belong somewhere. And God has given us his spirit as a way of saying to us, you belong with me. You belong with me. You are mine. So the spirit in us is a God-given confirmation that we are never alone. We are never alone, ever. 
Now, another way that this word seal is used in um, Greek culture um, relates to this idea of security. Security. Okay, so a king would put his seal on something as a way to make it permanent and binding. If it had a king's seal, it meant it was a done deal. It was permanent and binding. Sort of like how we view signing a contract, right? That makes it permanent. It makes it binding. A seal was then a mark of permanence. This binding, uh, that this is a binding agreement. So think about how this applies to us and the Holy Spirit. See, when we place our faith in Jesus and are at that moment included in Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. In other words, God, our King, places his stamp of permanence on this. Once you are in Christ, once you are adopted into his family, you can never lose that. No matter how many times you fail, you can never have that taken away. You are eternally secure. Now, now someone may ask, but what if someone who genuinely trusted Christ at some point, what if that person chooses later in life to renounce Jesus and they no longer believe? So why would God save them if they no longer want to be saved? Well, I liken this to a child who is adopted. And then in her teenage years, she runs away from home and she doesn't want anything to do with her mom and dad. And she even yells at them, I hate you. I don't want to be in this family. But, but to me, here's the question. Does, does that rebellious season in her life change her status as their daughter? No. To be adopted is a legally binding reality that isn't changed by behavior. See, Paul says earlier, in chapter one, that, that in Christ, we are adopted into God's family. He's already made that clear earlier in this chapter. We are adopted into God's family. So the Holy Spirit is God's seal that says that adoption is permanent. It's permanent. The reality is, I mean, let's just be honest here. Every one of us here knows the power of sin and the power of Satan to deceive us. And every one of us knows how easy it is to find ourselves on a pathway away from God at any point in our lives. I mean, really, every, every time we sin, we are choosing to say no to God. And we have that choice. So imagine making that choice, as any of us could do, making that choice over and over again, where we keep choosing that over a long period of time. What will happen is our hearts will become hardened our perspective will become darkened as we start to think that we don't really need God, we don't really even want God. Our lives will be miserable as we continue to reap the consequences of following this path. All of those things are true, but I don't, I don't believe we ever get kicked out of God's family, no matter how far along that path we go. Because remember who sealed you. Remember who sealed you. Paul says that God seals us with his spirit. How can we do anything to unseal what God, our king, has sealed? How can we do anything to unseal what God, our king, has sealed? We are eternally secure in him. Once you're in God's family, there is nothing you can do to get kicked out of that family. Now, the Holy Spirit may be grieved 
over choices we're making, knowing the pain that's going to cause in our lives and the mess that, and that's going to hurt other people. The Holy Spirit grieves those choices, but he will never leave us. Even if we try to leave him, he is unable to leave his own possession. Okay, so that's the word seal. Security, belonging, has those ideas. The, the other important word Paul uses in this verse is the word deposit. Deposit, look again at this passage. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So this word deposit, it refers to a down payment. We know this word. You know, it refers to a down payment. You put money down in order to guarantee that you're going to purchase this item. And so what Paul is saying here is that the Holy Spirit is God's down payment, guaranteeing our future inheritance and our complete redemption. In other words, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is a tangible reminder to us that God has so much more in store for us in heaven. It's a down payment now, promising so much more is in store for us in heaven. I mean, and can we all just kind of admit, sometimes this life sucks, right? I mean, it does. The, 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 this life is filled with pain and struggle and tragedy and difficulty in the impact of our sinful choices and then the sinful choices of others and how those that impacts us. This world is a mess and deep within, we all long for wholeness and complete freedom, right? We long to be completely whole and free. And God says to us, I guarantee that's gonna happen. I guarantee you that is going to happen one day. One day you're going to experience complete freedom and complete wholeness. And the proof of my guarantee, God says, is the presence of my spirit with you right now. That's the proof that one day all of this is going to be, you're going to be restored and all this is going to be amazing. The proof is in my spirit this down payment, this deposit that's given to you right now. So, in my research, as I was studying this word, um, I, I came across this fascinating thing that this word deposit um, that's translated, the Greek word for deposit that's used here, it's actually a word used in current Greek, I believe, for or maybe back then, I think it's in current Greek as well. It's a word used for an engagement ring. It's the same word used for an engagement ring. So when I asked Raylene to marry me and I gave her an engagement ring, we weren't married yet. But that ring was a tangible expression of my commitment to one day say, I do. To one day enter into this sacred union with her. So the best was yet to come for both of us, right? But we weren't there yet. When we were engaged, we weren't there yet. That ring, that engagement ring, represented my commitment to our future together. That's what the Holy Spirit is to you and me. He is God's engagement ring. He is God's engagement ring. He is a tangible reminder of God's unending love for you and his commitment to be united, to be united with you forever in perfect union. The wedding celebration is coming. We're not there yet. The wedding celebration is coming 
even when it feels like it's delayed inevitably, it and indefinitely, it will happen. It will happen. The Holy Spirit in you is a down payment, a guarantee of the freedom and the joy that are coming. Now, all the things that Paul talks about here um, are de describing these verses. They're wonderful, right? I mean, the sense of belonging, the sense of security, the promise of an amazingly eternal, you know, amazing future in, in eternity. All of those things are ours. All of those things are ours right now because of the Holy Spirit's presence in us, which in my mind raises the obvious question. Are we living in the fullness of being secure in God? Are we experiencing the joy of belonging to him? and the hope of a better future? Are we experiencing things? I mean, do we, do we know about these things or do we actually know them? Do we know these realities in our everyday lives that are in the spirit, these realities in the Holy Spirit? Do we know these things? From a New Testament perspective, the Holy Spirit is not simply a concept to ponder. I mean, he's a person to be experienced in real and personal ways. So how do we do that? How do we more fully experience this spirit and these realities that he has given to us that are described here in other places as well? How do we do that? Well, one of my favorite um, Bible passages um, or pictures really in the Bible regarding the Holy Spirit is found in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is kind of a strange book um, that's, that's in just many respects. It describes some pretty weird visions and, and all that that Ezekiel has. But one of the visions that he has is so powerful um, and it's so instructive to us as we seek to answer this question. How do we more fully experience this spirit who is already ours, but how do we experience him more fully? So in Ezekiel 47, um, the prophet Ezekiel has this vision he has this vision where he is led to this wonderful river that is flowing from the throne of God. So this river, he says, he describes it. He says, wherever this river flows, it brings healing. It brings life. It brings wholeness. So clearly, this river flowing from God's throne is a picture of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's coming from God's throne, right? And he's bringing life. It's just this picture of the work of the Spirit of God. Well, but what's so fascinating here is how Ezekiel is invited to experience this river of God's presence. So in, in chapter 47, he tells about this man. There's a man in this vision who leads him into, he leads him to wade into this river. And at first, Ezekiel is led into, the, into water that's just ankle deep. And then he goes a little further in, and now it's knee deep. And then a little further, and it's waist deep. And then finally, Ezekiel writes this. He says, now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? I love that imagery because it 
provides such a powerful picture and beautiful picture of how we grow in our experience of the Spirit. Just because we have the Spirit doesn't mean we're experiencing Him in all His fullness. How do we grow in this? Well, the Holy Spirit is this river of life flowing from God's throne, bringing healing and refreshing wherever he goes, right? Wherever the spirit goes, he's bringing healing and refreshing. And God, this is so cool. God has given us access to this river when we place our trust in Christ. Think about what that means. Here's the way I see it in my own mind. God, it's like God has deeded to us a riverfront property. Each one of us has a riverfront property with a dock and our own beach. It's ours. He has deeded that to us when we become a Christian. Now we can sit by the river and we can watch it from a distance. But in order to experience it, we have to wade in. We have to wade in. Now, thankfully, just like in Ezekiel's vision, we have a guide. We have a guide who is gently and encouraging and leading us into this. And the Holy Spirit is our guide, okay? The Holy Spirit is leading us into a deeper experience of himself, a deeper experience of security and of belonging and of hope. So what is our part in this? How do we wade in? What is our part in this? Thankfully, it is not complicated. And if anyone just makes the experiencing the Spirit sound really, really complicated, you know, I think they just re-examine that for yourself because it is not complicated. There aren't a bunch of hoops that we have to jump through. This isn't a formula that we have to follow. There is one key response for all of us who want to go deeper in our experience of the Spirit. And that response is faith. It's faith. Choosing to believe the truth of what the Spirit offers us. That's the way in. That's the way we wade in. It's choosing to believe the truth of what the Spirit offers you. Choosing to walk in these realities. Now, what I love about Ezekiel's imagery um, is that it is an invitation to all of us. It is an invitation to all of us wherever we are at in our spiritual journey. Okay, so for some of you, for some of you, you are very familiar with and intimate with the Holy Spirit. You are very familiar with, you're intimate with the Holy Spirit, his work in your life. You are waist deep. No doubt about it. You are waist deep. And you know what he's saying to you? Let's go deeper. <laughs> Let's go deeper. That there are places, he's saying to you, there are places, there are places in your life where fear still has a hold. There are places where you are not fully living in the, the, the reality of my love for you, and I want to take you deeper. Because remember, Ezekiel was saying, man, it was, I, there was, it was deep enough to swim in. That's the invitation. The Holy Spirit is saying, look, I want you, to, I want you to, to know in those places of fear, I want you to know the permanence of my commitment to you. I want you to swim in the fullness of my love for you. This reality that you belong to me. I want you to experience that, that you are mine and nothing can change that. And so the spirit is saying, come on, let's go deeper. Yeah, you know me, let's go deeper. Now there are others of us here who feel like we're ankle deep. Um, we experience the spirit's love at times. So we've experienced it, we know that, but we also, we, we, we want it to be more of a daily reality. 
We want it to be more of a daily reality. That's kind of where I feel like I'm at, you know, and where a lot of people that I'm talking to right now in conversations, I feel like a lot of us are, right, are here right now. It's like we know these truths in our head, but then something happens. You know, we, we feel close to God in church or whatever, and then, we, then something happens. You know, at work on Monday, we have a bad day at work, or we let our anger get the best of us, and we yell at, at our children or whatever, or we look at porn or whatever. And after that experience, we just feel discouraged, and, and we feel worthless, you know. We don't feel God's nearness anymore. We feel like a failure. And what we need, what we need is a fresh dose of faith. We need to start believing what God says is true about us. Not start believing. I should say we need to restart. We need to go back there and believe what we were believing, but we've never lost sight of it. We need, to, we need to keep on believing and reinforce our belief in what God says is true about us. See, as we've seen over the past few weeks, Ephesians 1, if you've been with us in this series, even if not, I'm just telling you, Ephesians 1 is a gold mine of information about all that we are in Christ. It is a gold mine. Ephesians 1 is a gold mine of all that we are in Christ. So we, we've been looking at this, right? In Christ, you are loved unconditionally by God. In Christ, you are chosen for wholeness. You are lavishly forgiven. You are a recipient of God's abundant grace. You are sealed with his spirit. You belong to him and are eternally secure in him. All of those things are true of you and me in Christ. The key is choosing to believe it, right? The key is choosing to believe it. See, here's what I'm discovering. This requires intentional effort on my part. It doesn't happen automatically. It requires intentional effort on my part. I have to think about what I'm thinking about. And I have to choose whether or not to embrace it as true. A few weeks ago, I mentioned a quote that I'd heard that had, has had such an impact on me. I recently heard a pastor say, I can't afford to have in my mind any thoughts about me that God doesn't have about me. I can't afford to have in my mind any thoughts about me that God doesn't have about me. And here's the deal. How often, how often do we have in our minds thoughts about ourselves that God doesn't have about us? You're a loser. You're a failure. God can never forgive you. Blah, 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 blah. And we just, here's the deal. We just let those thoughts just kind of linger there. And over time, they can become so familiar to us that we passively accept them as true. And that's a huge problem. Because not one of those thoughts accurately or even close to accurately describes how God sees you. They don't even come close to accurately describing how God thinks about you. Not one of those thoughts is actually true of you in Christ, but we continue to believe them. We continue to believe them. We continue to allow those words spoken over us by someone else or the words we speak to ourselves. We allow those words to define our reality rather than what God says about us. And it's eating our lunch. It is eating our lunch. It is keeping us in ankle-deep water. It is keeping us in an ankle-deep experience of the Spirit when he invites us to go swimming. He invites us to go swimming. Now, there are others of you, 
there are others of you here who, who realize you're not knee-deep or waist-deep and you're not really ankle-deep. You're sort of standing on the riverbank. And, and, and this idea of experiencing the Holy Spirit in the ways we've been talking about here, it seems very new to you. Um, maybe you feel a bit nervous about experiencing him. You know what? You don't need to be nervous. You don't need to be nervous. The Holy Spirit is God's love gift to you. He is God's love gift to you, and he invites you to begin wading in. Just get your toes wet. Get your toes wet. That could be as simple as saying to him, Holy Spirit, I want to experience you more fully. I want to know the security of your love. I want to experience what it means to belong to you. So Holy Spirit, help me. That may be, that, that's as simple as, as, as it, could, it could involve, just to begin getting your toes wet into this experience of the Spirit. So wherever you are in your spiritual journey, the Holy Spirit is inviting you and me to go deeper with him, to experience in real ways his amazing ministry to us described here in verses 13 and 14, to know the permanence and fullness of his love for you and his promises for your future. Let's pray together. So I wanna, I wanna give a couple of invitations here to respond. Because that's really what hearing these messages are, is about. It's about, okay, responding. And so no pressure, but I, I wanna just give a couple invitations. So the first invitation is for those of you maybe who you're, you're here and you're wondering, do I even have a relationship with God through Christ? Because you heard us talking about, oh, it's permanent and sealing, all that stuff. It's sealed in the Holy Spirit, all that. But there may be some of you who are like, I, I don't know if I even have the Holy Spirit in me. I don't know if I have a relationship with God through Christ. And if that's you, that's totally cool that you're here. And if you long for a relationship like that, you want to wade in and say, okay, Jesus, I just, yeah, I'd like to have this relationship. I want to lead you in a prayer where you can experience him. You can enter into a relationship with God through Christ and the work that Christ has done. This isn't about you. It isn't about your work, trying to be a good person. It's about Christ's work on the cross. So just pray with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I've done my own thing. I've gone my own way, and that sin separates me from you. But I don't want to be separated I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sin, all of my sin. And I choose to place my trust in you alone. I ask you to forgive my sin completely, past, present, and future. And come live in me through the presence of your Holy Spirit. And now, Spirit of God, change me from the inside out through the power of your love. So, Father, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Thank you, Lord. Help them grow in this amazing relationship that is theirs now. 
<laughs> they are sealed in you. Help them grow in that. Now for the rest of us, I want to I just invite you to use your imagination for a moment. I want you to imagine yourself in Ezekiel's vision. Where are you in that vision? Are you on the riverbank? Just kind of observing? You know the Holy Spirit lives in you, but you're just still on the riverbank? Or maybe you're ankle deep? Or sometimes you're experiencing his love, and then other times it's like these other thoughts and just believing things that aren't true about you. Maybe you're in the river, just going ankle deep. Or maybe you're waist deep. Wherever you are, I want to, if you're, if you're willing to do this, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, in the quiet of your heart, just ask the Holy Spirit to take you deeper in your experience of his love for you. Lord, we know that's a prayer that you answer. Holy Spirit, you love to answer that prayer. And so we pray it wherever we are at. In our experience of you, we want more. And so we pray for you to lead us there, that we would grow in our experience of being secure in you and of belonging to you forever. So I want to ask you to continue that work, Holy Spirit. We're welcoming you. We're asking for you to move. Just continue that as we respond in the next few minutes with songs of praise and worship. We welcome you, Spirit of God, to continue to transform us from within. Thank you for sealing us and all that that means. We love you. We worship you. So why don't, why don't we stand? If at some point you want to sit down, that's totally cool. If you want to go back to the prayer stations and receive prayer from someone, that's awesome. If God moves you to give a, an offering gift as a, as a response of worship, it, let's just worship him in these moments. We love you. We love you. God set us free to worship you.